This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast with your hosts, Kyle Borgannoni and Matthew Betts. Welcome in. Back at it again is the Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Borgannoni, and I am joined with me on this glorious Friday by Matthew, WNBA Thought Leader Betts. Oh, man, Kyle, you don't even know how good it is in the WNBA prop streets. It's great. Um, yeah, you know, we're sweating unders every night. It's what we do. And uh, Kyle, just by saying that, I know is judging the heck out of me right now. But I thought this was a safe space for you and me, and our listeners. Uh, apparently, that's wrong. Now, the, if you're on a, a couch right now and you just, you know, you could be Betts' therapist, be the person to kind of talk him through this. Because I woke <laughs> up this morning to a couple of screenshots from bets and that usually happens because you wake up earlier than me on the east coast and you'll usually say hey i had a good night in cash whatever you're playing pga tour uh different props like preseason like you've been doing really well you're actually on a hot streak but this morning it was the WNBA. tell me more i mean hey whenever you have a chance to fade WNBA props usually the point props people that's where it's at um that's a great way to do it. But yes, it's been a crazy month. Like, I mean, I'm not sleeping much with the twins and, you know, we're really getting ready for the season. The UDK is getting updated, updated all the time. We got content coming out on the website left and right. So like it's been busy and how successful I've been in the last three or four weeks has me absolutely terrified for what is going to come for me personally. Weeks one through four of the NFL regular season, I guarantee I'm going to have a horrible couple of weeks because that's how DFS works and uh, my lumps are coming soon. Is this just a quick little pitch to get everyone to subscribe to your WNBA Patreon page? Is that is that what you're going for? <laughs> yep, yep. It's uh, it's only three hundred dollars a month. You know, it's great, great value. Yeah, get up in there. Patreon.com/slash/WNBABets with a Z. <laughs> I can see you marketing that. I can see you starting a YouTube channel. People do not go to that website. That does not exist. <laughs> uh, I will say in the Discord there has been some action nonstop about preseason. Uh, people taking just lots of different sports. So our DFS channel is not just for football, but it is about to be in high gear because we are just weeks away. On today's show, we're going to be talking about showdown strategy. And just to toot your horn bets, last year, you wrote one of the most read articles on our site. And right now, if you go to Google and you just type in DFS showdown strategy, you're going to find an article that Bets wrote last year that is still at the very top of the charts. So it's super valuable. This is a skill that I think a lot of people, if they're intimidated by the field, they're intimidated by the big slate, then we want to teach people how to do showdown. So we'll briefly talk about that first. 
Thursday night game. We're going to have a whole show on Buffalo and the Rams, but I this is one of those shows that I think for people that are like, I want to get back in DFS, you can kind of press refresh, you can learn the strategy behind it, and get weird. And the best part is we're all sweating out basically the same players, just in different orders. So yeah, showdown strategies is a different thing, right? Oh my gosh, dude. It's a completely different animal. You know, everything that you are used to is setting a normal lineup, whether it's your redraft leagues, you know, for the normal slates, the main slates, like it's just totally different. And we have to adjust how we think about the slate and how we adjust the salaries. Um, We're going to talk about how you win on DraftKings. And my article, I think from last year, was one that I really put a lot of effort into to make sure that it was like a good resource to come back to every time you're setting a lineup in case you need a refresher, which last year in the Thursday night preview article that I would write each week in the DFS pass, I would just link it in there to be like, hey, if this is new to you, read this first because the strategy is way more important than the player takes, honestly, for this kind of thing. I mean, we'll talk about some of that stuff with the player takes, but knowing kind of which lineups you want to avoid, which ones are best for a certain slate is so much more important than saying like, hey, I like this wide receiver this week. So it's, it's awesome, man. And we'll do a follow-up from this episode. There's some data and numbers we'll throw out. We got to look at every single showdown game from this past year to kind of add to our data set. So we'll give you more of those numbers. But let's wrap up best ball season. You know, you still have a couple of weeks. I mean, I want to keep adding some of those best ball mania entries in. You and I will update our big dog entry. We're in the, you know, what, seventh, eighth round. So we'll talk about that in just a second. But who are some players, this is our quick question, who are some players to target in tournaments who won't be rostered by teams that drafted in May or June. So for instance, bets, let's say you are playing against, well, your past self and you're thinking about those teams and what you were doing in May and June and how you were drafting. Who are some players that you can take at the very end that the field isn't, doesn't really have. Yeah. This is a great point to kind of think about, you know, like, like you said, like teams are drafting in May, June, early July, all the way through that. Like there's, rarely a time at that part of the calendar year that you can find players that aren't going to be rostered in best ball mania now we know what's actually happening in camp so you can if you're drafting now you can figure out maybe who isn't on rosters it's a good way to get different in these massive tournaments so i'm gonna start at the top kenny pickett like looked pretty good in the preseason i don't think anyone was really thinking he would start much to open the year like there's a chance he starts i think earlier than some people think i think there's an outside chance he actually starts week one. I know there's a quote from Tomlin that like the quarterback competition is not done yet. Maybe that's coach speak, but he was going undrafted for most of the year. So if you get him in round 17, 18, you're definitely getting different compared to your May and June, you know, counterparts. I'll throw out Eno Benjamin, backup running back for the Cardinals. It looks like he is guaranteed to have that RB2 role behind James Conner. And then, man, Kenyon Drake getting cut really opened up the door for Emil Abdullah not to just make the roster, but like like, is there a chance he's actually <laughs> he's actually like a thorn in the side of Josh Jacobs all year? I think so. I think you even throw Brandon Bolden into that mix. Like, they're going to use a committee, so I'll throw him out there at running back. And then for wide receiver, I think a lot of people were kind of excited about a late-round Kendrick Bourne stacking partner because he had those touchdowns last year. But, I mean, the, the camp reports from New England have mostly said, you know, he's the wide receiver four, and it's Nelson Aguilar that's going to be playing. So, you know, shout-out to the, the Eagle great. Nelson Aguilar, he should be back in your best ball portfolio as a round 18 flyer. And then I'll throw out Isaiah Likely, who is the tight end for the Baltimore Ravens. He's been making a huge, huge splash in preseason. And of course, you know, rookie tight ends don't always hit. But with how Baltimore uses their tight ends, like if anything should happen to Mark Andrews, he would definitely be the guy. And obviously he has that pass catching profile we look for in the tight end. So as your tight end three complete dart throw, I, I don't hate that at all. What if I told you that Nelson Aguilar, this is a little stat, because I, I was looking up a lot about rookie wide receiver ADP. So Nelson Aguilar, the, the former Eagle great, 
Remember the the Eagles took him twentieth overall that year. Oh, uh, I'm aware. I'm aware. Thanks, Kyle. You know that he was going seventy eighth overall in best ball drafts that year as a rookie. Like why? <laughs> he uh, looking at my data set right now among rookie wide receivers drafted since 2015. Nelson Aguilar was the fifth highest rookie wide receiver drafted in the last seven years. Whoops. His his <laughs> win rate breaks a lot of my metrics. Let me see if it's it's I think it might be the lowest possible one. It's three point seven percent uh win rate. Yes. He had the lowest win rate of any rookie wide receiver in my data set. That's not great. No, it's really that's not great. It's really not good at all. Uh speaking of rookie wide receivers, I'll throw out a couple that I was not drafting a ton at the beginning. But I love these teams. We love Buffalo. I love Denver. So Montreal Washington is a rookie wide receiver. He's got some special teams chomps. They took him in the fifth round with Tim Patrick's injury. He's at least somebody in 18th round I'm willing to take. Maybe you get a big game at the end of the year. Uh, Khalil Shakir is another one that it looks like it's Isaiah McKenzie in the slot, but it wouldn't surprise me if Khalil Shakir started to get more snaps down the stretch. So he's another one. And then two tight ends I'll throw out that we weren't really talking about in May and June as draftable assets in best ball, but Jonu Smith and Greg Dulcich both feel like they're players that are going to get way more work than we thought. So Greg Dulcich is at the point where they're talking about him as if he's going to be a week one starter. I get it. He's a rookie tight end, but he's at least somebody attached to a quarterback and a team that we really like. So if you have Russell Wilson and you're just kind of iffy about Albert O, let's say you only have one piece. I don't mind double stacking Russell Wilson with like a Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, and then my third tight end in the very last round is Greg Dulcich. So that's kind of where I'm landing. But can I throw out one more name for you? I would love that. I, I saw you tweet this out for week one DFS. How are you handling Mike <laughs> Davis knowing that we've joked about him on this podcast? I feel like the last couple of weeks, but now it's like getting serious. Like, I, am I going to draft him in best ball? He went, he actually was sniped. I've never heard that term this year, but Mike Davis was sniped in front of me, in my 18th round pick. I mean, you know it's DFS season when Mike Davis is projected early on right now to possibly be a chalk piece for week one. And the reason is Gus Gus Bus is going to start on the PUP list. He won't play. And J.K. Dobbins, as of uh, today, is not pra- practicing yet in 11-on-11 drills. And yeah, he might play week one, but there's no way he's 100% if you're still not playing in full practice two weeks out from the regular season. So there's a path for Mike Davis to get 15-plus carries in week one. And guess who he's playing, Kyle? It is the New York Football Jets who you're going to see a very green number next to that name from last year. You just played your running back against the Jets. So I can't wait for Mike Davis to be chalk in week one. He's 4,400, and I'm excited to fade that in tournaments and see what happens. I love DFS because these are the conversations that we get to have where Mike Davis becomes one of the most important players on the slate, where all summer we weren't talking about him, but the value opens up based on his salary and based on what the field's going to do. So it's a great conversation, but... Yeah, for best ball season, I just put out some more content. I put out an article about rookie wide receivers and how we're drafting them higher than ever. So if you want to check that out on the website, you can do that. But quick check-in for the people because they want to know about the Big Dog Squad. We want to read off where we're at. Uh, this will come out Friday. We still have to make another pick soon. So any uh, just just some information that people want to know. Dude, I'm, I'm pretty excited about this team. Uh, we have our boy Russ at quarterback. We were pretty excited to get him because we had Javante Williams. We have a little bit of a unique stack. We unfortunately missed out on our boys, uh, Jerry Judy and Quentin Sutton. Maybe we can get Dulcich late. You never know. Or Hamler. But we got those two guys. We also have Juju. So we got that week 17 
game stack, which I'm pretty excited about. And then we have our boy Pity City, so you know it's a great team. And then as well, we have on the squad, the other running backs um, are, I'm pulling it up real quick while I talk, CMC with the second overall pick, and Brees Hall, which, what are your thoughts on Brees Hall with the news of Michael Carter, by the way? Because I'm I'm not sure I'm ready to get nervous yet, but I'm at least questioning what's happening there. We got Brees Hall in the fifth round, so he kind of fell. That was part of our conversation of having three elite running backs, or at least a running back down the stretch that could help. I am not scared off at all by Michael Carter. I put this all in our Slack yesterday, and Andy didn't like it, but I think he's a jag. I think he's just a guy that just happens to be here as fourth-round rookie or rookie last year that was not as involved on third down as people think. Ty Johnson was their best running back on third down and utilized the most on third down. So then you just think, what is he? Is he a change of pace back? Is he Naeem Hines? At the end of the day, for our, our big dog team, I care about the second half with Brees Hall. We can actually t- withstand him having a rough start to the year. But let's say that he's a top 10 running back in the second half of the year. I don't think many teams will be able to say that. Yeah, that's true. It does have a unique build for us. We didn't really want to take a running back there, but dude, he fell 10 pass, spots past ADP and no one is drafting fifth round Brees Hall these days. So that felt like a good value. And then our other player that we have right now, Brandon Ayuk, we're kind of in that zone where we just got a hammer wide receiver. So we'll see what happens, but that's the, uh, that's the squad now. And I'm running up every pick that we make kind of the rationale for why we made that pick. Uh, it's on the website. I'll update it pretty much every other day. Whenever we make our picks, you can check out all of our best ball rankings, the best ball primer. It's updated ADP in the ultimate draft kit. Plus, I mean, you can do this with a friend, do a best ball draft with the, you know, if you're not co-managing a team, you can actually say, let's go in together before the season, uh, put in some money together. That's one of the best ways I know for us last year. Uh, it was something that people loved and it was fun rooting on that team. So you can get all that at ultimatedraftkit.com. But let's talk about showdown. You down with GPP? So we're talking about showdown strategy. And I just want to start off by saying I don't play showdown strategy like a single game. Island games. I don't play much cash. I don't know if you've switched at all. But for me, there's too much variance. So I prefer to play my cash lineups, you know, on the main slate. And then for single games, GPPs. Are you the same way? Yeah, cash is tough in, you know, this sort of format with showdown because, you know, there's not as much of a consensus as like the quote unquote right way to play or the best play. And the reason for that is, you know, whenever you have a 10, 11, 12, 13 game slate, it's pretty easy to avoid mistakes in your cash lineup. Whereas when you're just talking about one game, we know, you know, variance in football is super high and it's really tough to nail what's going to happen in one game for four quarters. So I say let's embrace that volatility. Let's embrace variance. And so for that reason, I'm pretty much only playing GPPs when we talk about showdown. Yeah. So we, we talk all the time about embracing volatility. We know that football is this way in a week, but even more so in one game. So last year, maybe you forgot about this, but there were some wild games where what you would have thought would have happened definitely was the exact opposite. You remember when Jacksonville beat Buffalo like Buffalo basically the Super Bowl favorites this year yeah and it was so frustrating Josh Allen could not do anything in that game which you know entering the week if you had him in your lineup and redraft leagues you're like okay I won this matchup no question and he didn't do anything let me give you some other weird games that happened last year Houston Houston beat Tennessee and they beat the Chargers like it was wild what they did uh the Jets had that game where Mike White just went bananas Michael Carter did have a ton of catches that game, and they beat the Bengals. Like, the Bengals, the team that went all the way to the Super Bowl, the Jets were the team that beat them. And then 
I I had to look back. I couldn't even remember. Did you remember the Eagles? They somehow beat the Falcons in Week One. Yeah, I do remember that, Kyle, and that was yeah. great. <laughs> it was like thirty-two <laughs> to six. It wasn't even close. I definitely. Yeah, I, I was trying to be nice about it, but yes, that happened. <laughs> I bet the Eagles. So it's it. That's that's what really matters. At the end of the day, I want some money off my team's misery. That's, a, that's you know the what, point where I'm at. You know what me and my buddies call that? We call that a happiness hedge. Because either way, no matter what happens, like if you win your money, you're you're fine. If your team wins, you're okay with the loss of money because your team won. So you can't you can't lose either way. So I have 17 weeks this year. The Falcons win totals at five. So you're telling me that if I just bet against the Falcons for 17 weeks straight, I'm You'll basically be happy. Be happy, happy every single week. And rich, yes. Okay, well... <laughs> this will be my new thing. Uh, so when we're talking about a single game, we're really going back to the same principles we've talked about all offseason about game theory. We're talking about what are the optimal plays, but then what is the opportunity cost? If I do not play this wide receiver, for instance, in week one, if I don't play Cooper Cup, who is crazy expensive, we'll talk about the salaries towards the end of the show, but if I don't play Cooper Cup, what does that cost me? And then you're also thinking about how the other players are playing. Last week, we talked about roster percentages. But I want to bring this up about a single game. We're trying to optimize things. Everything we're doing in our lineups, because we're dealing with you know a small pool of players, was we're trying to optimize our lineup, not necessarily for beating projections, because so many things happen. Let's say, for instance, Matthew Stafford in that game, week one. Let's say we haven't projected for 22 and a half fantasy points let if he's your captain you get one and a half times that and you you'd say cool like if Matthew Stafford hits 35 plus points let's say Matthew Stafford hit 40 points as your captain you might feel like you're killing it because you beat the projections you are just doing awesome you're you got that fire next to you on DraftKings but on the other side of that if Matthew Stafford goes off what does that probably tell us about Josh Allen I mean we know the correlation is really high when when quarterbacks especially have a great game the other quarterback does too and so then you're saying okay Josh Allen gets pushed up Steph Diggs probably gets pushed up Gabe Davis so there's paths for other guys to beat your captain even though you have a great player in the captain if the salary doesn't allow for it meaning if there's a cheaper player who outperforms their salary more because of how the salary wor- works on you know DraftKings with building your lineup they could still outperform your captain even though your captain had a great game yeah, that's that's what it's a crazy thing. You can look at your lineup and say, wow, I had a great call. I picked Matthew Stafford as my captain. Where, you know, you might say, well, Josh Allen, he's going to be a little bit more popular because he runs the ball. Or Stefan Diggs, he's going to be a little more popular. Cooper Cup. You could have a really good call like that. He beats his projections, and yet your construction of your lineup actually doesn't cause you to win. So we're going to talk about that, about captains and how you structure it. But it does come back to what we talk about, correlating your lineups picking a story, picking a narrative, and running with it. So we'll go through some game totals. I know you got to look at a lot of the data from last year, but we have to think about this differently than we do for a main slate. It's all about our decision-making, and we can't be passive about it. So let's first talk about captains. On DraftKings, that's what we're going to kind of focus on, but they get one and a half times the price and one and a half times the salary. So how are you handling the quarterback position because they're easily the, the most popular? Yeah, I mean, I think when you look at just should you roster a quarterback or not in your showdown slate, the answer is yes. Now, the question is, where do you put them? And the reason that I say you should is because almost every winning lineup over the last couple of years, almost 90% of winning lineups have a, a quarterback somewhere in there, whether it's the flex spot 
or the captain spot. So if you're not rostering at least one quarterback, you are significantly behind the eight ball. And honestly, your your lineup is dead immediately, pretty much, if you don't do that. So we want to play a quarterback somewhere. And I want to give a shout out to our, our guy, Matt DeSorbo, wrote this article last year, and we still want to reference it, looking at like what happens with scoring at certain positions in fantasy when there are certain favorites and underdogs uh, for things like that based off Vegas line totals. And he found that since 2000, the favored team wins 66% of the time and when the team is favored by more than 10 points, they win 85% of the time. So presumably, if there's a favorite, especially a heavy favorite in Vegas, you know, spreads and things like that, like the quarterback is likely going to be the reason for them to have a great game. So I'm almost always, if I'm flipping a coin of which quarterback I'm playing, if there's a big spread, I'm playing the quarterback that is favored in the game. Again, doesn't mean it's a captain, but they should be in your lineup, I think, most weeks. Yes, I'm at this point now where I looked at our data from last year. And I know that the quarterback is going to be the favorite. And I know that the field feels that way. And so it's better for me in these large field to use that information against the field. Like I'm going to put that quarterback in my lineup, but the captain spot, there's so many other routes that I can go and to create leverage. And so I would say this is my biggest point of emphasis is I'm going to put the favorite quarterback, but I'm not going to put him in my captain spot most of the time. I want to pair him with his wide receiver I want to get that PPR scoring going, or I want to be able to construct my lineup with the running back that kind of allows me to have a different game script than it going off. So the data says we want the quarterback from the favored team more often than not, but at captain doesn't mean you have to put them there. So how are you using running backs? Because they're not as great a play sometimes when they don't catch the ball. Like there's a couple of weeks last year was like Damian Harris, Dernis Johnson, were captains and you wouldn't have said like they're the optimal plays going in right and I think what this comes down to is being the optimal captain for the running back too is looking at you know like you said flipping the game script like a lot of us want to be going quarterback and pass catcher stacks and I definitely do that especially when the game total is really high but most of the time in showdown I'm playing MME like I'm entering multiple lineups and I'm creating some where it's a pass happy game I'm playing some where it hits the under on the biggest total I'm playing some where the underdog wins and in those sort of scenarios where it doesn't go what you think should happen like I'm usually flipping the build and saying okay let's play a few let's you know for example week one let's play a few Stafford lineups let's play a few Josh Allen but like let's also not forget what happens if Devin Singletary falls in the end zone twice or Cam Akers falls in the end zone twice sort of thing. So they're usually way lower rostered in the captain's spot relative to the other positions. But using last year's data, it was actually the most commonly you know, optimal captain on a slate. I don't know if that's sticky year to year, but just last year, like they weren't utilized as much, but they were there. you know. And I think part of that too is like running backs nowadays aren't always just Derrick Henry types. Like they're catching the football on us. So I think their path on DraftKings especially to having touchdowns plus receptions is starting to be not equivalent to wide receivers, but starting to get there more. So I think using last year's data, we can look and say running back captain might be a way to get different than the field and actually is shown to be optimal based off last year's data. Yeah. That's all I care about in these GPPs is where can I find leverage? And if the quarterbacks are the most popular, if their wide receiver ones are the most popular, then where we usually talk about creating leverage is the running back or the wide receiver too. So Before we talk about wide receivers and how we handle them, let's take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. 
I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Would you say that fantasy football Twitter and just people that are DGENs, like, I don't know, you, Bets, or you listening out there, is the wide receiver position like by far the coolest position in fantasy sports? Yes, and you know why that is? Why? Tell me. Tell me like I'm five. Thanks a lot, underdog. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if it wasn't for underdog and like everyone being so wide receiver focused... I feel like that wouldn't be the case in our little bubble, but yes, that is the, the the cool thing is to be higher on wide receivers and lower on running backs. Yeah, I think it's the cool thing for the kids that have been in fantasy football world for a little while, been exposed to the Twitter world. They go back and forth to then go back to their home leagues who still love their running backs and we all need our running backs to say, oh man, you just, you need, you need your wide receivers. And on DraftKings specifically, a full PPR site, there's just something different about wide receivers. It's the position that has the widest range of outcomes. We know that. We talked on the show this summer. We talked about uh, volatility. We talked about that with Matt DeSorbo. In one game, though, when we're just looking at one game, not over the course of a season, not like a Mike Williams up and down, in one game, wide receivers actually, on average, are going to score less DK points than quarterbacks, right? So how are you using this in the captain spot, that information? Yeah, because we already talked about the fact that quarterbacks generally are more popular as far as roster percentage, wide receivers tend to be like my preferred play when it makes sense because of the PPR scoring, like you said, 100-yard bonus, touchdowns, and that sort of thing. And I think if you can find the wide receivers where they're not only projecting well from a median standpoint, but have these wild upside weeks in them, that can dominate target share specifically. Like, if you have a Cooper Cup situation of last year or you know these games where Steph Diggs goes for 12 targets, like there is a really strong possibility if he reels in eight, nine of those for 100 yards and a score, like they're going to outperform the quarterback because, again, the salary matters, right? Like 
just because the quarterback scores the most points doesn't mean that the that he's the optimal captain it comes back to relative cost and these wide receivers have paths to these huge games any week and we've seen that over and over and over again so you know looking at again the data kind of showing us last year wide receivers were the most second most i should say optimal play but again their roster percentage is down relative to quarterback so i think the best takeaway from this section that you're going to hear from us is high leverage running back wide receiver against the quarterback and captain yeah and it's as simple as you get six points for a receiving touchdown as opposed to four for passing you get the 100 yard bonus that we think can happen you know in just a couple of plays and it's full PPR scoring. So there's a just an easy way for a player to make up that difference and when you find the wide receivers that are priced a little bit lower then you could have really unique roster constructions compared to the rest of the field. So we'll talk about it in a second. I have no idea what I'm going to do with this information and I still have a couple of weeks. But the fact that Allen Robinson is half the price of Cooper Cup, like exactly half on DraftKings for that first game, is so intriguing to me of what I can do with my roster with him in, in captain. So any early thoughts about that? I know I'm jumping ahead, but I just... I just, <laughs> just going to put that out there. <laughs> it's still blowing my mind. Well, the thing that's frustrating is if... And they did a great job with this because DraftKings knows Cooper Cup is going to be the most rostered player probably on the slate whether it's captain time. or flex of all time based off what he did last year and if a rob was maybe only a thousand dollars cheaper or two thousand cheaper then it's a conversation to be like hey no one's gonna play this let's do it but because he's so cheap i think everyone might think the same thing and maybe just jam in a rob so i don't know how i'm gonna handle it yet we'll see what the projections and the uh, the roster percentages tell us but yeah it's it's i think they did a good job with pricing week one it is a great social experiment we'll put it that way we'll, we will we yes. will find out and see where the field is. But last, we'll talk about tight end and then briefly about defense and kicker. Um, the optimal captain selection of tight end happened more. Last year it happened six times in our 48-game sample than it did before. But still, tight ends is something that I kind of stay away. We actually had two in the first week. Remember when we put out this data last year and we're like, hey, you know, <laughs> tight ends happen like 3% of the time as the optimal captain. Don't worry about it. First week. Rob Gronkowski on that first game was the optimal captain. Then we had Darren Waller go bananas and have what, like 17 targets. And he was the optimal captain. Yep. And I had so many people saying the data sucks. I was like, just wait, please wait over the course of the season. They're not going to be as popular, but uh, your tight end takeaways. I mean, these guys are tight ends generally, but those are the guys that we love in fantasy for their upside, right? Like it's Kittle, Kelsey, Waller, like those types are what we care about in high upside best ball. You know, your redraft leagues, same as in DFS. So if I am going to play a tight end captain, it's only really for me going to be on the slates where I know that that person can really get there on volume. And if someone else beats me, which last year someone did, it was Pat Fryermuth, uh, for touchdowns, like those guys, that's going to happen. And I think you just take your L's. We know that generally playing those types of tight ends that are so touchdown dependent is generally not a good strategy. So yeah, it's going to beat you once or twice throughout the year. But if you fade that and you kind of only focus, like we said, I shouldn't say only, mostly focus on the running backs, wide receivers, a captain, and then kind of pick and choose your spots at tight end where it makes sense. Last year was a great example. We could get some leverage against like Tyree Kill with Kelsey. You know, you can go there, but um, outside of that, yeah, I'm not really actively looking for tight ends in my captain. The, the data just says it, it does not work. Yeah, and that Friday week, I believe the total was 39. So it was one of those games where you didn't need a monster game to do it. If I am going to pick a tight end, 
I'm going to find somebody who has yak ability. Like it's not going to be Cameron Brait is not going to be the optimal play. Like he's going to be the, you know, two for five and catch one. Although like, who knows? He could catch like three touchdowns. I was going to say, here yards. we go. Three touchdown game week one. Thanks a lot, Kyle. <laughs> Dang it, Cameron Brait. But it's going to be yak guys. It's guys that we know can make big plays down the field. That's what I'm looking at. Defense. I think people want to get cute here. And last year, four out of the 48 games, so that's, you know, 8%, did have defense as the optimal play. And it wasn't always the game that was just like the 40 or 41 point total. Like there was a game that was in the 50s and the defense killed it. So how do you handle defense at the captain spot? I just don't play it, truthfully. I mean, the field rosters, defenses in the captain spot, not at a super high rate, but higher than they show up as the optimal play so again kind of like tight ends if they beat me that week they beat me and i'll take the l but i'm almost never playing a defense in the captain spot you don't want to just put it there so that you get the free 10 points that you know and then you start off with 15 for the multiplier and then before the game's even starting it's showing i think i screenshotted you that one time this past year i just made a fun lineup and it showed that i was sharing the the millie maker uh winning prize for the <laughs> through the first quarter that's dude if that's what you care about if you're a first, first quarter player then Go for the defense. I did send a screenshot to my wife and said, oh my gosh, I'm winning. And she like ran in the room and I was like, no, it's not over yet. <laughs> Wait, that's, that's, that's Buy whatever you want. Uh, kickers are just almost never the right captain. They are real people. So when the game is below 40, we want to make sure that kickers are in our lineup. But for the most part, there's not a ton of rhyme or reason to saying that a kicker has to be in your lineup. Um, in preseason, it's different, right? In preseason, we want kickers. Yes, in preseason, you want them because there's a lot of guys just out there getting their wind sprints in, not really earning targets, so the kicker can beat those guys. Whereas on the main slate, or, or I should say in the regular season, it's tougher for the kickers to beat these guys. I will say there are times where I work a kicker in. Again, if I'm running like a 20 lineups or if you're someone that likes to do 150s, I'll sprinkle them in, and generally I'll lean towards the favored team that has the higher implied total. Maybe they get an extra field goal, something like that. Um, and I know that you've done some research, Kyle, that like number of plays per game matters for kickers. So if you look at season long metrics, you can maybe get a little edge there. But honestly, outside of that, there's not much else to add besides the fact that we know they're not optimal captains. So don't play them. And my goodness, don't roster two in the same lineup. Yeah, don't do that. I put some kicker research out there for the people that want it. A uh, fresh article on the site, what to do in week one with your kickers. Uh, you know, just ran through all our projections in the UDK and then filtered them through sticky kicker correlative stats so you want to plug that real quick what do we get what are the sticky stats really i'm, I'm getting a, a, a like a stage for this go for it okay so we know that field goal accuracy is actually not a sticky stat from year to year so don't chase the player that just hit 90 percent last year it's not gonna work uh it is third down percentage and this is the one that people don't understand you want teams that can convert third downs so they actually get to field goal range you might think, oh, it's teams that are bad on third down so they can kick. There are teams like the Bears and the Falcons that can't even get down the field to even kick a field goal sometimes. They're it's, trying to hit 60-yarders each week. Yes, it's just it, it It can work out for young way coup every once in a while, but you want teams that have more and more opportunities that are good on third downs, and it correlates really well with yards. So just uh, yards per play, those kind of things. So, man, that felt good to get out of my system. Such a nerd. All right, let's talk about game script. <laughs> and pace of play because we're looking at one game and we're trying to pick a narrative that works in the NFL. 
For every five seconds difference in terms of per play, a team runs about 15 plays more per game. It varies from game to game based on their conversions, based on what they're doing, but we want teams that stay on the field. Like the Texans metrics, I was looking at those again for Damian Pierce. It may sound great that you're getting a running back that's going to get the ball. It's bad when a team can't convert first downs, so he can't stay on the field. Like they average the lowest expected points per rush attempt in the last 20 years. So their pace may look a little different, but their plays are so low because they can't convert first downs. In a game, in one game, what we care about is can this team set themselves up where your wide receiver and your quarterback are correlated enough that you're actually chasing 30 points. You know, you're chasing 35 points from your captain. You need those kind of outcomes. And so you and I really care about this. You write it up in your Thursday article about the pace of play. And the lines matter, right? So let's go through some data about lines. We use DK Sportsbook. They're a great sponsor. But what are some data about how the Vegas lines actually affect the singular game? Yeah, so I want to give a quick shout out to Cody Main. He studies showdown stuff for ETR. I, I went back and looked at some of his stuff from 2019, so a couple of years ago, and then I compared it to this year's data to see what has changed over the last couple of years. So back in 2019, he found that like 60% of the field used the favorite as far as the Vegas favorite. So let's say like you know uh, Bills minus two and a half, like that would be the Bills player and your captain. Um, that's what the field is doing, but it shows up in the optimal lineups so with the top one percent, almost 75%. So there's a big edge if you just blindly play the favorite in your captain spot relative to what our opponents are doing. And I wanted to see did that hold true to this season? And it turns out it, it does. And the correlation is even stronger when it's more than a touchdown favorite. So minus six or more for the team that is favored in the Vegas spread. The optimal captain was from the favored team 82% of the time in last year's sample. So I think what we should take away from this is like when you see minus six, minus six and a half, minus seven or higher, like Again, I'll take the L when it's the underdog. I'm going to play the favorite in the captain spot of that team. Now, on the other side of that, you will get high leverage in situations where it's less than a field goal spread is what I found because we know, you know, three points in the NFL is nothing to these teams, especially when it's a tight spread as Vegas projects. They can go back and forth, come down to the last, you know, few plays or whatever. Like that doesn't tell me a lot. So I'm not using that data, I don't think, unless it's a touchdown or more when it's a field goal or less. I'm actually looking to actively play the underdog. So whoever is not favored to win the game in the captain spot, because that can create some leverage as well in those situations. Yeah. So just to recap what he said, basically 75 to 80% of the time you want to play someone in the captain from the favorite when the total, especially when there's a spread as large as six or more, like you want to go in that direction. I think our Matt DeSorbo stat from earlier was, uh, what was it? A teams that are favored by 10 or more points they win 85% of the time. So when the spread gets from six to seven to 10 or more, you are wanting to jump on that team. And it, it sounds pretty, pretty clear, but it's a chance when the spread is not that big within three for you to take the underdog and to be able to go in that direction. The total that we care a ton about is 50 points. And last year we put out a stat saying that the ones that are in that 46 to 48 and a half range those are the ones on the main slate that we usually say the field's not as on this as much. When we're looking at just one game and the total's about 49, 50, or above, the average top three scores on the slate were pretty simple. It was the quarterback, it was the RB1, and then he was tied with the wide receiver one. So you're just basically looking at those positions and saying, 
Those are going to be the guys that score the most. But when the total was way lower, when we get a really super low total, the RB1 then shoots up. That's why we saw last year, I think, those totals, those games, where the running back on the showdown slates last year was actually the most profitable. So how are you handling this total? Let's quickly talk about the the Buffalo and Rams game. You know, the, the game... Right now, it's at 51.5, and, and I've seen it move up to 52 on some or down to 51, but 51.5 right now in DraftKings Sportsbook. How are you handling that game? Yeah, I mean, there's many options based off this data, right, that we can go to. Like, both quarterbacks could be great plays or are going to be great plays. Cooper Cup, I mean, Gabe Davis, Steph Diggs, Allen Robinson, the running backs. I find it hard to believe I'm going to play any Dawson Oxen captain or Tyler Higby or any of that kind of stuff because there's many, many guys that could outscore each other based off this data. And we know that kind of like RB1, wide receiver one, generally is pretty similar in this sort of data set. So we'll have to see what happens with what we project the field to do. But if the field is going to play a lot of Steph Diggs and Cooper Cup, maybe we lean a little bit into Cam Akers' leverage, for example. So I think that's how we should look at it. You know, those are the positions we want to go to when the total is this high. I think based on just the feel and the way that football's back, people are wanting a high-scoring game, all right? So I'm going to use that against the field more often than not. I'm still going to be playing wide receivers in the captain spot, but I'm with you. Like If there's a way to attack this early on from the Vegas total standpoint, it's that it hits the under. It's not everything that we all wanted, and that the running back, let's say there's a running back that has two touchdowns, like that is pretty significant in a game. Let's say it just hits 45 or 46. Like that's really significant in this game because I feel like the field's not going to really be on it. So keep that in mind when you look at a total. Don't just say it's going to go bananas. All right. Let's go through a couple of different lists here of what we're trying to teach people to be willing to do. Like there's one game, so you really just got to throw out, hey, I could be dead wrong. My lineups could be all dead by the time it's the second quarter because I don't have this player. Like, we need to be willing, and I think we need to be willing to go with the other guy with the pass catcher. That's why Allen Robinson just stands out so much, but the average captain roster percentage, the wide receiver one usually hits somewhere between 8 to 10%, and depending on the wide receiver. Like if it's an alpha wide receiver like Justin Jefferson, it'll be higher, but the average is about 8 to 10%. The wide receiver two is usually half that, 4 to 5%, so that's how you get leverage. So... You have a long history of being pretty profitable on just betting on the wide receiver twos almost every single week. So um, Mike Williams is someone you talked about in the past, but this year it looks like you want to talk about Robert Woods. Yeah, and it's just a good example of last year, right? Like the trend, if you took Robert Woods in redraft, you were so worried that he was just not going to be used the same way that he was in years past. It was Cooper Cup. 10 target after 10 target after 10 target game every single week. And you're like, where's the volume for Robert Woods? No one played Robert Woods. If you remember that showdown game against, I think it was the Seahawks, like five or six weeks into the season. I can't remember when it was, but no one played him. And then it was like the overcorrection game from Sean McVay where they just hyper-targeted Robert Woods. So it's a good example if if you can kind of find some trends, I think, of how wide receivers are being used to, to take the wide receiver too. Because we know in any single game, things can change. And if we recall from kind of our season-long outlook, Again, using Fantasy Labs data, like we know in their DFS set, the wide receiver one is slightly more correlated with the quarterback, but the wide receiver two isn't that far behind. I think off the top of my head, it's like what 0.57 and then 0.51 for the correlation 
coefficient, which uh, makes us sound very smart. But basically the take home is like the wide receiver two can beat the wide receiver one. I think in any game across the season, it's unlikely, but in a game it can happen. And so we get massive leverage by taking that wide receiver two in our captain spot. It's also just super fun because you know, like Cowboys wide receivers, for instance, I know Michael Gallup's out for a while, but there are games where Michael Gallup in the past would score three touchdowns and he looked like maybe the fourth or fifth best projected wide receiver on the slate. It just can happen any single time. So finding those players, because clearly I love CD lamb this year. I've talked about him nonstop. I've wrote about him all over site, but from week to week, the wide receiver two on Dallas, I don't know who it is right now. Like, is it Jalen Tolbert? I have no idea. Noah Brown. I, I have no idea. Dalton Schultz. Dalton Schultz. I have no idea who their guy is, but I think that they will, they will be needed soon. So that's what you need to exploit, what you need to find. You also need to be willing to change your opinion as injury reports come out. Injuries open up opportunity for depth players, but I don't know. I, I have a hard time. You write this article usually on Wednesday, and then you have to update it again on Thursday, and it's like a lot of information changes. So how do you handle injury updates from the injury guy? Well, I think, you know, as... Sunday approaches if you're playing in the main slate like we all know what to look out for right like it's always like okay I know who's questionable let's see what happens on Saturday it's kind of our, our quiet day and then Sunday morning the blitz comes of injury news and so then you get to react and you know what to expect well for an island game there might be like one or two players that you're watching for but maybe our opponents aren't watching the injury report quite as closely and so if a player is either ruled out or less than 100 percent you know you can kind of quickly pivot away from those guys so I'm using injuries more on uncertain situations to kind of flip a coin for me in those slates i'm not necessarily looking to gain additional information like when the reports come out because most of the time we have a pretty good read on if a player is going to play or not but there are some surprises where you know an hour and a half before lock so and so gets ruled out with a hamstring injury they were supposed to play not everyone reacts in time and you got to be willing to make sure that you're available for the news right before lock happens we'll talk more as we get closer because there's there's some injury things we'll we'll discuss. There's also, I mean, especially with the Rams backfield, like that'll be the one to kind of monitor to see how that's going to turn out. But then it opens up a lot of players on DraftKings where you get unique salaries, right? Like those $200, you know, $400 players. Those are, those are tempting because then you can get really weird roster constructions. Speaking of roster constructions, we also have to be willing to leave money on the table, which is something we don't preach at all for the main slate. We say like use your whole budget, but it's different in showdown. So, what does the data say, at least from the past year or so? Yeah, last year, the average, as far as the optimal build, as far as salary spent out of a $50,000 budget, was forty-eight nine. So you're leaving salary on the table. And generally, if we do that in the main slate, that is a losing strategy. The winning lineup used the full salary allotted to you just five times last year. So again, I think if you're blindly using some of this stuff to say, how do I create leverage? Do not spend your entire salary most of the time on a slate. There's a reason that certain players are priced the way they are is because they are the quote unquote best plays. And we know, again, in one, one game sample, anything can happen. So don't be afraid to leave anywhere from, I would say like a thousand to maybe 2000, a little more. I think any more than that is probably a bit much, but that is a good way to create leverage. And we just know, you know, the higher you spend, the more likely you are to get duplicated in your contest because other people are trying to do the same thing. So find that sweet spot. Don't spend it all. Make sure you're leaving a little bit of money on the table. Our Discord is flooded with screenshots of people usually that say, hey, what do you think about this lineup? And I go back to the same thing that I tell people in best ball. I say like, 
Yep. Like it, it, these can all work, but that is one of the things I usually look at is like, are they leaving money on the table? Uh, are they getting too cute where there's like, you know, $3,000 left or something like we're not shooting for that. Bet said they leave about, you know, 1200, 1500, you know, down to 500. Like think about a range that you can say, Hey, this is different. And this is getting different from the field. So we'll talk more about that as we get closer, but this is the last thing that I think made me a better showdown player was recognizing what the field wants to do in the roster construction. We have six roster spots to use. We have a captain and five flex, but the most popular construction is the three V three. It's kind of just intuitively what people want to do. They want to look at a slate and say, here's the favorite team. I'm going to put that person in the captain spot, probably the quarterback. I'm going to stack them with at least one other option and then maybe play their defense or something. And then the other side is like, okay, well, I got to get in some of their players. So this guy's cheap. I like this player. He'll probably get some garbage time. And then by the time you're done with it, it just ends up being a 3v3 build. So we talk a lot about 4-2 or 5-1 onslaught kind of stacks, but what does the data say? Yeah, last year I looked at basically like what was the most heavily utilized by the field and what actually won and then compared the two. And the heaviest utilized builds by far was the 3-3 and the 4-2. The 3-3 was used half the time, which is an insane amount across an entire season sample. And then 4-2 wasn't that far behind. When you add them together, it's literally almost 100% of the time that the field is on the balanced build. It doesn't feel comfortable to leave your lineups with five from one team, you know, and one from the other. Or if you flip it and go two, four, which we refer to this as the, the favorite first. So if it's like four, two, in our example here, the uh, bills are favorites. So it'd be four bills and two rams. If you flip it and go the other way, that's another way to create leverage. But everyone is on these three, three builds and it doesn't work as much as you think it does. Oftentimes, these kind of lopsided builds, whether it's four, two or even five, one can win and the field really isn't willing to do that. So again, I just think, it's not the end-all be-all. You don't want to never play 3-3 because, again, if you're playing multiple lineups, you'll mix a few in. But if you're taking like little nuggets away from each of our sections here, you can create leverage without even knowing what you're doing with your lineup by just not playing 3-3 because you know our opponents are going to do it. Sometimes it'll work. Sometimes it won't. But we just know our opponents love to play that build. Yep. That's, that's what we care about here is what is the field doing and how can I use that information in a different way? I know that I'm going to get these wrong because... When I'm building lineups, I'm going to miss out on that one player that kind of unlocks everything. I love playing 20 max. I think that's more than enough for me in terms of like one lineup. Some people love to run the optimizer and just say, give me every possible permutation of this lineup. You still will not be able to cover all your bases. Okay. So like I'll do it sometimes where I'm like, okay, I'm doing 150 lineups and I'm going with three captains. I'm going to go with the wide receiver two. I'm going to go with this quarterback and I'm going to go with this other wide receiver. And the craziest part is, is I can actually have 150 lineups, 50 of each, and still miss out on the combinations that I need. So don't just think that if you just get every single possibility, it'll work. I found that 20 max is uh, better for my sanity, I would say, uh, to do that. So how do you approach, in terms of contest selection, this uh, showdown? Yeah, I I mean, I play all styles. Like I'll play some single entry, I'll play some three max, and I'll do the 20. I don't really run the 150s very often. Unless we have more time on our hands, like I did it a couple of times in the playoffs last year, we weren't trying to prep for so much. But now that I'm, you know, hashtag dad life, like I don't see myself being able to sit down for an hour and a half before lock and like setting everything up. So I'm probably not going to do that. I like the 20 max, like you said, because 
as we said already, like knowing the right players isn't enough in this data. We need to be willing to kind of throw that stuff to the side a little bit and get different with our builds. And so by playing the 20 max, the three max, you can still create a couple different builds that you like, and hopefully you land kind of on the right one versus, you know, it's, it's tough to do that kind of stuff in single entry. So I love 20 max. I love three, three max for this kind of stuff. Um, those are my favorites. I'm actually kind of excited about single games this year because the way that my work schedule will work on the West coast that I usually leave here around, you know, four o'clock. And that means the games are about to start soon. Like that's, that's kind of where I'm at. We're we're before, before it was basically me, you know, getting home, doing everything with the kids, having dinner, doing bedtime. And it's like, I can't put together the lineups that I wanted to and give it the, the same attention because I have three and a half hours that I'm responsible for something. Now I get to leave and drive home and be like, I got the winning lineup. I'm just cruising home. <laughs> in, uh, Until I text you and say, oh my gosh, Makers uh, is out and you don't have time because you're driving to change your lineups and then you're screwed. Yeah, but I've run the optos. I've done everything. I mean, I mean I'm dropping you know, a couple you've thousand. Watched, you've, you've grinded the film. You know, you're all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. All right. Before we get done here, I want to make sure we at least tease Tease this game because there are some people out there, they are thirsty for takes. Quick takes. Okay, so Bets and I are going to have a full podcast. We're going to have an article on this game coming up, Buffalo and Los Angeles, the Rams. The line right now is 51.5. Bets mentioned earlier, the Bills are 2.5-point favorites. Um, just on the betting, Let's before we go into the salaries, any quick takes on the betting stuff, although that's not something we're recommending to do right now. No, that is not a repertoire at all. So do not listen to us for that advice. That said, I've actually put this in a teaser. I've taken the uh, the Rams up to eight and a half. I think they can they can win this one. And then I've put it with the Ravens, who then are minus half a point against the Jets. So that's where I'm at. I don't have a lean on the over under. I, I feel like based off how these teams play, right? Like pass rate. You think about the Bills. Like they do not run the football. That is what they love to do with Josh Allen. They throw. Same thing with the Rams with Cooper Cup and now Allen Robinson. Um, we'll see maybe you could play an angle where the under hits because they choose to kind of manage Matthew Stafford's elbow I don't know but as far as kind of how I'm leaning I think the over is probably in play I don't have a a firm take I know in terms of game theory and how I'm approaching DFS I'm gonna lean into the under because of how the public feels and how casual people will want this to be a high scoring game so that's just more of just thinking emotionally how I'm gonna do things Uh, a couple of takes here on player salaries which we have those listed you can get those in the dfs pass we kind of talk about who's a value different roster constructions bets will put on an article cooper cup's expensive all right it's a big deal when the highest salary is not a quarterback position but it is the wide receiver but we all know cooper cup was just not real i was looking through my best ball data and i was looking at players with different win rates And I was charting it out and I was like, why is everything like shifted a little bit? Like, why does this not make sense when I get to 2021? Because I looked at all the years before. It's because Cooper Cup freaking screwed up everything and all of my data looks skewed because he has, there's a player that has a win rate that's just astronomical. Like in, what was it? Best ball uh, on underdog. It was like 49% last year advance rate. Unreal. He's absolutely unreal. He's not fair. So at this price, 12,400 in the flex, 18,600 in the captain spot. That's expensive. I mean, I haven't started building yet, 
right? Like I'm not that much of a sicko. So <laughs> I think you, you have to see what that does for your lineup, right? But like initial take is week one of the NFL season is the time to embrace uncertainty and do the opposite of what we think is going to happen. And last year, what Cooper Cup did is not going to happen again. So if the field assumes that Cooper Cup is going to come out for 15 targets, 12 catches, 140 yards, and two touchdowns, I'm very willing, especially at that salary, to not play him at captain. And maybe we get, you know, egg on our face, we look silly. But I think when you talk about this from game theory aspect, like what he has to do when he's $9,000 is so different than what he has to do when he's 12-4. That is an insane price for a captain to go up to 18-6. So early lean, I'm going to be under the field on Cooper Cup. Um, don't be, get me wrong. I'll probably have a little just so I don't look silly if he goes off. But I think my early lean is to quietly, I'm going to say, fade Cooper Cup at captain. Maybe. I'm scared. You heard, you heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> Stefan Diggs is just so cheap comparatively. Like at 9000 yes. he's over $3,000 cheaper than Cooper Cup. And he's on the favorite. So it, I feel like that doesn't set up really, really well, like based on the salaries that you can just go, well, it makes sense. I'm going to play Diggs. Um, Gabe Davis is going to be popular. There's going to be a lot of redraft spillover, but at 7200 it's a good price. Uh, the backfields, though, for both of these teams, that's, I think, where the field is going to be all over the map of what they think. You know, they might say James Cook is a more talented player than Devin Singletary, or you might have the person that's the Devin Singletary truther that says, hey, that run he had at the end of the year, that's what they're going to get. In camp, the reports have kind of been all over the map, including your boy Zach Moss still in the mix. So any early leans on either running back situation? Because you could tell me that any one of those five guys was the optimal play, and I could believe it. I know, and that's what's tricky about this stuff is that like our player takes don't really matter because it's so hard to figure it out. But I think from a roster construction standpoint, we can confidently say if you look at the names next to Cam Akers, Stefan Diggs is only $1,000 more. Gabriel Davis is $800 cheaper. People are not going to be playing Cam Akers over Steph Diggs or Gabe Davis. So that's a good way to create leverage again, just based off the salary structure. Same thing with Devin Singletary. Like no one wants Devin Singletary to be a thing. Everyone wants James Cook to be a thing. He might be the lead back and get 18 touches in this game. I mean, I, I don't know, maybe. But at his price tag with him being kind of sandwiched in between Gabe Davis and Allen Robinson, like the running backs are definitely going to come in, I think, under rostered relative to their opponents and the guys that are right beside them in roster structure. I know a guy that's going to be super popular is Isaiah McKenzie. Like if he if he oh, yeah. wins this slot job the way that it seems like it, he's priced all the way down at twenty four hundred. He's going to be in almost every single lineup because he's going to fit every single build. So any early takes on McKenzie, who when he's gotten the snaps in his career. He's been a really fun player. I think he's gotten the snaps maybe three games in his career. <laughs> I think what you want me to say is it's a small sample, so we should fade it. And maybe that's the reality of what we should do. That said, looking at the names down here, like it's easy to see why he would be popular. I mean, we're talking about like Kendall Blanton, Duke Johnson, who probably won't make the roster. Like Kyron Williams, who I think is still running the 40 as we speak. It was so slow. Um, <laughs> he might not be active. Like he's going to be popular, but it might be for the right reason. Like if he catches three or four balls, there's a good chance he lands in the optimal lineup as a flex. So I know it's scary, but I might play into the chalk as, as bad as that sounds. I don't know. That sounds silly though. Don't you think? It, it's definitely playing in there. I So here's where my mental state is at. I won a ton of money a couple years ago because I played Bill's great tight end, Tyler Croft, against the Rams. 
And I think I remember this actually. Yeah, I called Tyler Croft. We caught two touchdowns, including the game winner. And so there is just something in my head that says Bills tight ends rock against the Rams. I'm just <laughs> that's where my brain is at. Is like hard hitting analysis. I know, I know. So yeah, there's just there's a lot of plays that I like in that middle tier. Um, I already mentioned Allen Robinson, 6200. Darrell Henderson's really interesting at 4800. We don't really know what the wide receiver three situation is right now for the Rams. Like Van Jefferson, do we have any update on his injury? No, he's still recovering, recovering, I should say, from the knee scope. So I think it's unlikely he's 100% week one. He might be active and maybe get you know a handful of routes, but he's going to be really thin play based off projections. So it's 2-2 season is what I'm hearing. I mean, dude, it might be. Gosh. It might be 2-2 season. I would love for 2-2 Atwell to be a thing this year. Just if, if every once in a while he, you know, he gets a little screen pass or something, just something just to give this guy more than like eight routes run is what he did last year. I mean, they're saying he's going to be part of the game plan. That's why I didn't play in the preseason. I mean, when you take a player in the second round ahead of a lot of other receivers, I mean, this is who they took right with their first draft pick the year before. Like they didn't have a first round pick. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Sean McVay is weird when it comes to draft. Like obviously they don't care about the draft capital. They just punt it. But remember, their first draft pick ever in the Sean McVay era was your boy Gerald Everett. I know. He was supposed to be Jordan Reed. And? Verdict's still out? He, <laughs> he might be this year. We'll see. My best ball team certainly hope for it. We will get to talk more about week one. We'll get to talk about showdown slate. We'll get to talk about the main slate. We'll get to preview that. In just a couple of weeks, we'll be going to two shows a week. So make sure if you have any questions, you can go to bets at the Fantasy PT on Twitter. I am at Kyle underscore Borg. And more importantly, if you go to jointhefoot.com, you can be a part of our Discord channel, our premium DFS channel, premium best ball channel. You get all the good stuff from all the good people, and we will actually talk to you, be your friend, and love you forever. So that's a pretty good deal, I would say. Your best friend, actually. That's true. I mean, I mean, what better way to gain a friendship than to pay for it uh anyway if you want to join us you can do that but bets uh why don't you sign us out for the weekend dude i am officially hyped for week one thursday night football after the show we'll be back to preview that again in more detail more takes for you guys as we get more information but yeah make sure you subscribe get the dfs pass get up in there we'll see you in discord we'll be back next week Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fantasy Footballers DFS Podcast. Don't forget to visit us on the web at www.thefantasyfootballers.com.